You should find Acts 4.32 is where we're going to start. And just by way of reminder, last week we talked about uh, the, the, the trial that happened among the Sanhedrin and Peter and John. So Peter healed the man who was lame for over 40 years. They are arrested. They're tried. They're told not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus anymore. They're threatened, but they're released because clearly a sign has been performed. And so they go to God in prayer asking for boldness and for God to continue to do signs and wonders and thus display the power of the resurrection, the power of the gospel to the world, just as Jesus told them that they would by being his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. So let me just read to you. This is verses uh, 32 through the end of chapter 4. It's going to kind of give us a summary. Luke wants to kind of put a pause on the story and give us a summary of where we are. So just by way of introduction, follow me there. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All right, just pause there. This is the lay of the land that Luke wants to give you and me. The church is united. They are united because of their shared faith in the resurrection of Jesus. So the, the witness that the apostles are giving is to the resurrection of Jesus, and their shared faith in Christ produces unity in the body. And as that unity in the body is played out day by day, we see great power from God and great grace from God. And we see that in the lives of these believers meeting the needs of one another. So somebody has a home that they can sell, they're going to sell it. And as you read the book of Acts, let me just kind of very quickly, because we have to move on from the intro, we have plenty of things to talk about, but just so that we're, we're clear here, as you read on in the book of Acts, you recognize what we're reading about in Acts chapter 4 is not everybody gives up all of their property and all of their possessions and all of their belongings and everybody just distributes everything evenly, period. And the reason why we know that is because what Peter's going to say in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, that they didn't have to sell their home. Like it wasn't a requirement to be a part of the church. They have to give everything up. And in fact, later on in the book of Acts and later on in the New Testament, we're going to hear about churches that meet where? In this person's house. They're like, People still own their property. People still have possessions. The, the, the reality that we're seeing in Acts chapter 4 is no one is going with lack. No one is going without having their needs met. And if somebody has the means to provide, they're going to provide. They're meeting needs. They're serving one another. And we meet here in this little passage a man named Joseph, who we will know for the rest of the New Testament as Barnabas, son of encouragement. He's a Levite. He's a priest who is contrasted from the religious leaders last week. They were all about power. They were all about influence. They were all about trying to destroy and discredit the name of Jesus. 
Barnabas is a true Levite, a true priest, honoring Jesus and giving his life for the church. He is a faithful priest who offers proper worship before the Lord. So that's what's going on in the life of the church. And if you read in the first couple of chapters of Acts, as we've read, you've seen problems start to arise from outside the church, persecution pressuring the church to not speak about Jesus. Today, we're going to see that trouble on the outside, but we're also going to see trouble on the inside. So just like us today, the church of Jesus Christ in our particular church, Lakeview, has threats against the unity of our church and the purity of our church and the truthfulness of our message and the the, the oneness and the holiness of our church, those threats exist inside through the sins that we commit towards one another and our failures to be godly and Christ-like in all things. And they exist on the outside from pressures in the world and in the culture, maybe among friends or family members who don't honor Christ. That, that reality of how we live today is not new. It's happened since the beginning. So let's read Acts chapter 5 to see trouble from the inside beginning. But a man named Ananias with his wife, Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those who heard of these things. What a wild story. So if you're taking notes, the first kind of scene that we're talking through is trouble from inside begins. Trouble from inside. This is the first time in the book of Acts we're seeing problems related to sin in the church not just outside of it, but inside of it, as a contrast to Barnabas, who we just read about, laying down the proceeds of his sale at the apostles' feet. Ananias and Sapphira reject the Holy Spirit by laying something dishonest down at the apostles' feet. They sold a property and said, well, we sold it for, let's say, $100,000. So we made $100,000, but we're going to tell the apostles we only sold it for seventy. dollars and say, oh, we sold this property for $70,000. Here's the $70,000. And we're going to keep the 30 for ourselves and not tell anybody about it. In the whole scheme, they have prepared and planned to be dishonest about what they're doing 
or the motives behind why they're doing it. They offered, therefore, a corrupted sacrifice. And that corrupted sacrifice would threaten the purity of this early church. And so what we see in this story is that the impure worship is removed from the presence of the church. This is not new. I mean, you think like, well, I don't see anybody dropping dead in our services, praise God. But this is not new in the, life, in the story of Scripture. You think about the book of Joshua and Achan's sin was about hoarding treasure and it led to their ruin when they went to go fight at Ai and were decimated because Achan was greedy. Jesus himself was tempted with the possession of a kingdom by Satan in the wilderness. Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Here's the point. The love of money really is the root of great evil. And this desire to possess and to acquire and to own and to have the power and influence that comes from those things leads people to do wicked, dishonest, impure things. Additionally, an improper temple offering in the Old Testament also led to immediate death. You think about the story of Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus when they offer strange fire before the Lord in his temple in Leviticus chapter 10. They were killed immediately. Why? Because they failed to worship God on God's terms. They thought, I can just do whatever I want and it's going to be fine. And God says, no, I have told you and commanded you to worship me in a certain way. And by failing to do that, by failing to honor my command, and by being wicked in your heart that you can just worship me as you please according to your standards and not mine, your life will be required. Or I think of King Uzzah who grabs onto the Ark of the Covenant when it shouldn't have been out anyways. As it was falling to the ground, he reaches out and grabs for it to make sure it doesn't hit the ground. But instead of the Ark being preserved from the dirt, Uzzah is killed. R.C. Sproul, with the Lord now, but a famous pastor and theologian, once talked about that scene and said that the thing that Uzzah got wrong is that he thought that his hands were cleaner than the earth. He thought his hands were more clean, were more pure, were more holy than the dirt. And it cost him his life. This is a clear sign that God is judging against false and improper worship. And Sapphira, as we read about, not just Ananias, Sapphira has a choice in this as well, but she continues the corruption. She digs her heels in. Peter says, did you really sell this property for this much? And on the opportunity to be honest, the opportunity to say, no, my husband and I, you know, we thought this, but, you know, we, we just didn't want to think, we didn't want to be seen as people who kept back for ourselves, but we just didn't want to say anything. No, we sold it for this much. And her continual corruption leads to her death. I'm persuaded uh, from uh, some Bible readers and some scholars and some commentators that Acts chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 has a lot of parallels to Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve and the fall. And so it's, it's, a, it's according to some, and I'm persuaded that readers should see a set of features that connect Ananias and Sapphira's story to the story of the fall. First, the destruction of peace and harmony. 
mean, the church was of one accord. They were united. They were doing all things together. And now they're filled with great fear. Number two, the temptation of Satan. Satan is the one who leads Eve to eat of the fruit. Peter says Satan has filled the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira. Number three, the error attributed to a couple. This man and this woman have fallen short. This man and this woman have fallen short, and they've done it together. Number four, what is the sin at hand is that they have lied to God. They have failed to believe his word, and they have gone their own way. And number five, the expulsion at the end of each story. One of them removed from God's temple garden. One of them removed from God's church in death. Therefore, this story is the original sin of the church. Because from here on out, the church will be plagued with sin on the inside. And we feel that today. Great fear is the result because the purity of the church is a mark that will be maintained by God's spirit. But he does not leave, right? God doesn't take away his presence like he did among the Israelites in the Old Testament when they were disobedient. Look at verse 12. Right after this story, Luke gives us another kind of summary statement in verses 12 through 16. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So the prayer from last week of Acts 4 29, 30, 31, it is being answered, right? The, the prayer that they prayed was, God, would you give us boldness to witness to the resurrection? And would you continue to perform signs and wonders to prove that Jesus is alive, risen, ascended, and reigning? And that's exactly what we see, signs and wonders being done. But, but be careful as you read this text and as you think about the book of Acts and as you think about what should be normal and uh, expected in our lives. Now, let me just be very clear. I believe God can do what he wants. And I believe God is powerful and mighty to save. And he is able to do supernatural, impossible things in the eyes of God. He is able to heal. He is able to bring reconciliation where it seems impossible to do so. He is able to bring light out of darkness and life out of death. And so you and I as believers need to trust and pray and pray expectantly that in the impossible situations of your life and mine, God is able to move and act in ways that we could not imagine. Having said that, look again at verse 12. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So as believers who are not apostles. You should not expect to regularly perform signs and wonders in your life. And you shouldn't think that the book of Acts gives you the ammunition to expect that sort of thing. Am I saying that you shouldn't expect God to move? No. 
Am I saying that you shouldn't pray that God would do impossible things? No, absolutely you should. But you and I are not apostles. And you and I need to recognize that there's a a kind of office that's being talked about here in this passage for right now that's instructive for us to have a right expectation. Because if you think you should expect that and you don't see it, your heart and mind, just like my heart and mind, will be tempted to wonder, what's wrong with me that I'm not seeing what what I should see? What's wrong with my faith that God isn't producing the signs and wonders that he was producing among his believers ages ago? What's wrong? What am I not doing to get the power that God seems to have promised me? Am I falling short? Am I failing? Am I sinning? Am I unconfessing something that needs to be confessed? What's wrong with me? And the answer is there's nothing wrong with you. You're just not an apostle. You don't fill that same function. You don't fulfill that same office because you're not an apostle. And now we have God's completed word. And when we think about what God has done in our lives, we think according to his word, he has done impossible things in my life. I'm sure you have stories that he has done impossible things in your life. The most impossible thing is he has brought you out of darkness and into light. You were dead in your sins. And if you're a Christian, you're now alive in Christ. That's the miracle of all miracles. Okay, we have to move on. The church is a place of life, of healing, of blessing, of power. More and more are coming, more experiencing this resurrection power. The prayer of Acts chapter 4 is clearly being answered, but that is hated by the temple leaders and the religious elite. So we have trouble from the inside beginning, but number two, trouble from outside escalates. I'm just going to read this passage. Uh, We're going to go till verse maybe 26. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came... They did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. You think? A little surprised, maybe. They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to, and someone came and told them, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Okay, so as the trouble from outside escalates, we see what's happening. The apostles are preaching, they're proclaiming the gospel, people are hearing and becoming believers in Jesus, and the high priest and the religious leaders hate what they see. We mentioned last week that there's this connection that we should remind ourselves of Saul and David when the anointing of the Spirit moved from one king to the next. The old king raged with murderous threats and tried to destroy. That's what we're seeing here. The leaders are filled with jealousy. They put them in public prison. But there's this miraculous breakout so that they can continue to preach. The the power of God is with them to move them out of impossible situations so they can keep making this proclamation to the world who God is. It should remind you of the book of Exodus. 
where God makes a way where there is no way so that God's people can be where they need to be to the great humiliation of their enemies. Sadducees, which would be the high priest and the religious leaders we talked about last week, they deny the resurrection. They also didn't believe in angels. And so I think Luke is kind of winking at us of saying, no, we're, God is showing these religious leaders to be fools. Fools that they think that they can keep God's word from going forth and fools to not believe that God has power through his angels to make these things happen. So they're arrested again, but this time the crowd is unhappy about it, right? They are beginning to loathe these religious leaders who are trying to stifle and stop the apostles from preaching. And so they have to change their tact. So they're arrested technically a third time, verse 27. When they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. This is a great phrase. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Amen. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So the religious leaders tell the apostles, we told you not to teach about Jesus. And not only have you not done that, you have turned the city upside down. You have filled this whole city with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, this is literary genius uh, and providence of God that they would say these words and that Luke would write them down. What they mean is you want to make us look like the bad guy in Jerusalem. You want to put this man's blood on our hands as though we did something wrong, which we all know you did. You murdered him, which is exactly what Peter is going to remind them in the next verse. But what Peter's also doing is he's looking at them and as in the same breath that he shows them their guilt, he tells them, but Jesus can forgive your sins and Jesus can give you the Holy Spirit. And so you intend to have this man's blood upon us could also be read as you're trying to save us. You're trying to, you're trying to get us to believe. This is what King Agrippa will say at the end of the book of Acts to Paul. Do you intend to make me a Christian in so short a time? Yes, <laughs> this is what we should want. Even against those who persecute us, we want them to believe. We want the blood of Jesus to be covering their sins just like he covers our sins. And the Holy Spirit now joins them as witnesses. The leaders don't have the Spirit. They don't obey God, so they don't have the Spirit. But look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. That's the response of their heart. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before the, these days, Thutius rose up 
And claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. (laughs) We'll stop there. They took his advice. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in high honor among all people, gives them a very clear logic. Hey, look, guys, the influence of the people, we're losing it. These guys, they're kind of the hot thing right now, but if they're not legit, they're just going to die. And our institution, our influence, our power, it will it will sustain. They will disperse. We will remain. So if it's of man, don't worry about it. Just let them do what they need to do. But if it's not of man and you're about to oppose them, then you're going to be opposing God. So you need to be careful. And so they listen, which leads to their response here as the persecution escalates. When they had called in the apostles, verse 40, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So the first time they were arrested, they were threatened verbally, told to leave. Now there is physical harm. They were beaten. They were wounded. And then they were threatened. And then they were told to leave. Now, if this was me, if this was you, an escalation of persecution might lead to what I felt when I saw Ananias being, bar- Ananias being buried outside the temple. Fear. If, if it were me or if it were you, an escalation of persecution took place and I moved from being threatened in my workplace to being punched and kicked in my workplace, it might change my attitude about how I want to live my life. If, if it were me or for you and the the people at your school who have been ridiculing you and bullying you then began to harm you, that might lead to a kind of response that would tempt you to be quiet or to be controlled or to avoid. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Students, they were out of the room. They did not hear Gamaliel. They don't know the strategy of the Sanhedrin. All they know is they've arrested us once, twice, three times, threatened us, beaten us, and let us go. What are we going to do now? We're going to continue doing what we've always been doing. We're going to go out day by day and with boldness proclaim that the Christ is Jesus. But what's happening? The Sanhedrin's the one that's backing away. The religious leaders are the ones that are going, hey, we're just going to let them do this. This is the sovereign God at work to preserve his people, 
to proclaim that the risen Lord Jesus is ruling and reigning. And by the power of the Spirit, that word is going out and expanding and new believers are being formed. The church is being formed and added and people are being sent out from that church to make more and more, as we'll see in the book of Acts goes on, more and more witnesses of the resurrection. But would this be our response? Scripture tells us that we've not received a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control. And we know where this story is headed. It's headed towards more problems, more threats, more persecution than what we see even today. The escalation of persecution will continue all the way until Stephen is stoned to death. The point is, the things that you experience in your life for being faithful to Jesus are not new. And the same spirit that empowered the apostles and the disciples of the early church to persevere in the threats and in the face of persecution is the same spirit that you and I have today. 